Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick Push Pivot Podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences. On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new. We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Mr. Pete Mackey. Say what's up to the people, Pete. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a good one for you today. We are here with Dr. Jay Friedman, all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is the past president of Valley Forge Dental Society, a former chair on the ADA Council on Membership as well as a co-owner of Dental Implant Solutions in the greater Philadelphia area. So, Dr. Jay Friedman, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Although I'd rather be where you are in California. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We were just trading jokes about what a California winter looks like compared to one in Philly. It's a little different. Yeah, poor Dr. Friedman. I told him I almost had to put sleeves on today. It's uh, (laughs) it's, it's chilly 56 out here in the Bay Area in California. (laughs) <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. So are you from Philadelphia or uh, where are you from originally? So I have been born and raised in Montgomery County, which is one of the, the northern suburban counties outside of Philadelphia. I'm about a 25 minute ride either by uh, regional rail or by car to downtown Philadelphia. Okay. Not too bad. So if you have a, a need for a Philly cheesesteak, you can just hop on the train and pick one up by lunch. Not too difficult. Trust me, there are Philly cheesesteaks all over the place. You just got to find your favorite place. The ones that get the notoriety are down in South Philadelphia, but there are plenty of good cheesesteaks out here. And yeah, I was going to say, it's, G- it's the great debate between Geno's and what's Pat. the other one? Geno's and Pat's. And it's funny, if you've never been there, they're right next to each other. They're right, like right, I literally have. across the street from each other. Yeah, yeah. So I did. I did prefer the Pats. I got to say, the Geno's is the Steakums, and it wasn't wasn't quite as good. I liked I liked how they mixed it all together at Pats, and then actually a local told me about Jim's steaks, and that ended up being my favorite. Unbelievable. But well, there's, I mean, there's, Jim's is great. Jim's is really great, and you know, if you're in Philadelphia, you got to go to Tony Luke's. They have the best yep. roast pork sandwich. Okay, I heard now about that one too. Now we're talking. I'm from North Carolina, so. Pork sandwich, anything pork related, I'm, I'm in. It is a little bit different than North Carolina pork, but it is really good. Melts in your mouth. It's just every time I'm down there, it's like I go out of my way to make sure I stop there for a roast pork sandwich. Mm, that sounds delicious. So did you always know that you wanted to be a dentist growing up? I know you said you were kind of local, born and raised. So I, I initially wanted to be a physician. And I was really strong in school in the sciences. And I feel like a lot of boomers, I call them straight liners. I mean, I'm a boomer. I think we're straight liners. You know, you start out with a vision and you just go straight through and then that's it. Today, because I teach in an advanced training program, a lot of my residents have started out in one career, decided they wanted to go into dentistry, take the prerequisites, go back to college, take the prerequisites, and then wind up going into dental school instead of so instead of being a dentist at 26, they're a dentist at 31 or 32. So wow. they're not straight liners. So, so I'm a straight liner. I knew I wanted to go 
uh, into medicine, I thought. I thought I would be a surgeon. And, and I'm going to date myself. But when you would watch, you know, uh, Dr. Kildare on television, everybody lived. Nobody ever died. Everybody <laughs> lived. He saved everybody. And when I was in middle school, uh, I had a first cousin who was uh, older than me. He was a physician, a, a general surgeon, which is what I wanted to do. And he had just come back from Vietnam. And I asked him very point, pointedly, how did he deal with if his first or second patient died, if he couldn't save that patient? And he looked at me real straight in the eye and he said, you just get used to it. And I thought, nope, that's not for me. I, I could never walk out of the operating room and tell somebody I couldn't save their, their loved one. So I had a reboot for a while and I wasn't really quite sure. Uh, there was a time in college I thought I would do research. And I finished my college in three years, but I decided nobody pushes age 21 away. I'm going to stay in college another year. And I got into a, a research program, which was half my credits, and it was a lot of fun. And there I learned that research was okay, but it wasn't for me. And mm -hmm. I decided, you know, when I was looking around that, okay, now dentists get to do medical stuff. And for the most part, people don't die. So, you know, <laughs> so you're cool. helping people. There were other things that I didn't realize would, would fuel my, my love of dentistry until I actually got to doing it. The fact that you really, unlike a physician who says, you know, take two aspirins and I hope you feel better. People come <laughs> into my office with a problem and 90% of the time they leave better. They come mm. in with a skewed appearance, a broken front tooth. They leave, they're better. Maybe they're not yeah. completed, but they're better. They're in pain. They leave out of pain. So mm -hmm. I really liked it. That was a, a immediate gratification that I, I had not anticipated. And it's very rewarding. So, you know, we get to change people's lives and, and in the same way physicians do. And, you know, there has been a, especially since COVID, there has been a, a push in dentistry, but more so accepted by the medical community that without good oral health, there is no great systemic health. True. And so it's yeah. very rewarding. I've always had a practice where, uh, I've preached nutrition. I've preached smoking sensation, uh, diet. Uh, there are some wonderful thought leaders in the dental profession that actually are strong advocates for all kinds of health. And myself personally, I uh, I guess about uh, eight or nine years ago, I took 50 pounds off. And oh wow, some, congrats! See my head. I mean, people thought I had cancer, but it was really I just decided <laughs> I was going to get healthy. <laughs> and, uh, and and I've been able to maintain it. So, uh, and a lot of my patients will ask me, call me up and say, who do you like as a cardiologist? Who do you like as a, 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 a neurologist? Who do you think would be really good for my, you know, for a respiratory therapist? So, you know, they're, they're interested in my professional opinion. And that's part of that whole health that I try to, you know, treat, treat my patients with. I like that. I yeah, like that that's interesting. We we actually end up seeing that a lot. And we've had a couple of uh, dentists on our show previously who are very much advocates of kind of the holistic view of dentistry and how it all ties into overall health. Um, I think it's a, a big thing that we're seeing maybe in the last, I don't know, yeah. 10 to 15 years in dentistry. I would agree with that. I think, I think there's one patient, though, that most dentists don't like treating. You know, this is a dad joke, be forewarned. Have you heard about this one? <laughs> No, I've not heard about dentists it. Dentists don't like treating? Yeah, it's a manicurist because they end up fighting tooth and nail. <laughs> <laughs> now, rumor has it you have a couple up your sleeve too, uh, Dr. J, that you have an occasional dad joke. I know you have good bedside manner with your patients. So 
This is a, this is open season for dad jokes. You got your shot right here. Oh, okay. Doctor well, J I'll... has his shot. Oh, mm-hmm. now we're talking dad jokes. Here we're getting punny now. <laughs> here I thought he was serious. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you get out of school in your twenty one, twenty two. Did you go right into private practice and start your own place, or how? So you, you get out of you get out of college at twenty two, and then okay. you go to dental school. Okay. So you really finish at age 26, or unless you're really early, you finish at 25, but Mm -hmm. so you get at 26. So uh, I felt like I hadn't, did not have enough experience in, in treating patients. And I felt like I needed a little bit of mentorship and it was very difficult to get employment, to be honest with you, uh, because Mm -hmm. I didn't have any experience other than school. So there were a lot of people who didn't want to hire me. I eventually did get a, a position in the Lehigh Valley, which is about an hour drive from here. That's Allentown for people that don't know the Philadelphia area. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Pardon me? I, I've heard of that. I actually have a friend that uh, was one of my sister's friends that she met up in Lake Tahoe. She was from Allentown, Pennsylvania, and she would come out to Lake Tahoe to, to ski in the winters. So it's a very, it's a very nice, it's almost like a, a I'm going to say not a closed community, but I mean, they're, they're a, an entity unto themselves. Um, they have their own hospital networks. It, it, again, it, but it's a part of Pennsylvania. It's very nice up there. Actually, that's where I met my wife was up when I was up there. But wow. uh, and that's an interesting story too because I met my wife in jail. Whoa! Okay, and now we need to hear that story. That. And now we'll get to that story in a bit. But um, uh, <laughs> my my first real dentist job was at the only Medicaid clinic in the Lehigh Valley at the time, and. Um, when you're in dental school, I guess the one one of the of the mysteries is pediatric dentistry. You imagine yourself, you know, kids need to be treated with a lot of TLC, and in dental school, you're in a big clinic with 20 chairs, and one kid starts screaming, they all start screaming. So I really <laughs> did not like. I thought I would never do pediatric dentistry. I would just always refer it. The only thing that got me through was is that one of my neighbor's children had a seizure disorder. And he, as a result, he always had to give himself injections. So I had all my requirements pretty much fulfilled on this one kid because he had ate so much candy and didn't really take care of his teeth. So, and he would be there with a mirror and he'd say, I want to see the needle. I want to see the needle. So, I mean, I got through, but when I got to the Lehigh Valley, I thought I'm done with kids. Well, (laughs) Medicaid paid so poorly that there were uh, no pedodontists that would take children. And it all fell on me. And I just oh. had this guilt that my parents had, had woven into me. And I developed a really great style with children. So children are a big part of my private practice huh. as well as doing the sophisticated dental work. And I think one of the things we've learned really early on is that bribery works really well. <laughs> and at, at, right after Christmas, my wife and I will go to um, CVS and Rite Aid. And uh, I'm giving away my secret now, but... Um, you know, they'll mark their toys down 75%. You just have to be there when they do it. And I basically buy them out. So the mm. kids that come here are getting $20 toys for that I paid five bucks for. Wow, that's high now, quality uh, treatment. Now there's an advertisement. Yes. Hey exactly. kids, yeah. you want a you want a nice toy? You got to come and get your dentistry at Dr. <laughs> well, J's. You know, so you say that. So I have a family, a large family. You don't have many large families today, but I believe they have seven or eight children. And one of the little girls had two cavities between her front teeth, probably the worst place to give an injection wow. to, very scary. And um, I actually wound up sending her to a pedodontist, and they kept her there. 
But her brothers and sisters kept coming here. And then one day she told her parents, she said, can I go back to Dr. Friedman? Because <laughs> all I'm getting is a sticker. And look at the toys, my brother and sister. So she's back in the office again. <laughs> well, you know, I've so got was, uh, two little kids myself. And what, what you're saying is ringing true to me as well. I mean, my grandson gets the COVID. He doesn't care about the COVID test because my son will give him either a donut hole or ice cream every time he gets the COVID test. So, yeah, Pete likes to bribe his children with uh, just new chickens. Just anytime something yeah. happens, just get him another baby chicken, and yeah, we've got right. we've got uh, twelve chickens here at the Mackey household, and we just had hatched about four more. So there's like four baby chicks in my daughter's bedroom right now in a cardboard box. So we got to watch wow, out. That- that's great. Good for you. <laughs> so, so when I was coming after about one year of working in this uh, this clinic, I felt comfortable enough that I would go out and open my own practice, and I wanted to open up in the community where I grew up, where I felt familiar. Uh, and that's where really problems for me started to happen. Um, it was difficult to get somebody to lend me money because I hadn't worked long enough. I mean, I had worked my way during through college, but that's not enough money to get a, a bank loan. Banks are better now, and there are a lot of banks like PNC and Bank of America and local banks like TV and Citizens Bank around here all have healthcare lending divisions, and they understand the needs. But you know, back in the 80s, when I was trying to open up my practice, it wasn't quite the same. So I had a difficulty getting money. What eventually happened is, is one of the family-owned dental supply houses actually vouched for me and I got the money that I needed to open my practice up. And no it was kidding. a one chair was a one chair practice. Uh, it was just myself and I had one person who worked with me who doubled as the phone person and the receptionist and my assistant. Wow. And <clears throat> yeah, uh, you brought up one thing that we actually see as a common thread in this show as well, which is opening up in a familiar area, a familiar an area that's familiar to you and one that you're comfortable with. And I think that's so important for any business, really, um, to when you're when you're setting your location to be in somewhere where you actually want to be and don't just go somewhere because it's, you know, cheaper real estate or something like that. Um, you know, open your spot in somewhere that's comfortable, somewhere where you know the area, you're familiar with it. And I think you probably see some more success with that, right? Yeah, you do. And, and I give this advice to my residents. I, you know, realistically, only about 40% of all people see the dentist on a regular basis. That means you have a market of 60% who don't go to the dentist. So every time you see someone in crisis, that's your opportunity to turn them to the light side. The dentistry isn't so bad, to not hurt them. And one of the advantages that an advanced training program gives these young practitioners is tremendous triage skills and emergency dentistry skills, which, you know, they get every day because, you know, they are on call for for the extreme, for automobile accidents, for slip and falls, and even just toothaches or people coming in that have held off with a terrible toothache and have an infection for months and months and months. And now it's reached the point where it's life-threatening. So they have tremendous emergency dental skills. So I feel you can open an office anywhere. A guy could open up right next to me or a gal and be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, it is be where you feel, be where you want to be. And you do have to exercise common sense. I mean, if you're a specialist, uh, you can be in a, in an office building because you're going to get most of your patients through referral from general dentists. Mm-hmm. But if you're a general dentist, you need to be on a street that has high visibility. I mean, I sort of took a bit of a chance where I was. 
uh, when I opened my practice up, my the Main Street in Abington, which is a pretty solid middle class community. Um, I'm probably more on the lower middle class side of it where my practice is, but doesn't stop us from doing 75 or 100 implants a year because people everywhere, no matter what, are interested in getting good quality dental care. Sure. But after I opened my practice up, then they decided they would build a mall where the uh, a mile down the road from where my office was, where an old amusement park had been sitting empty for about five or six years. And then they put five uh, beautiful car dealerships on the road. So I get a lot of street traffic now in front of my Good. practice. And I'm a standalone building. And so I think it's important to have visibility. That's you know, Be where you want to be, but have visibility. Don't park yourself on a side street, put yourself on the main street. It's worth the extra money you pay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you can probably vouch to the fact that the majority of your business probably comes from word of mouth and just by doing good work and taking care of people. But I think there's obviously something to be said as well of just having that that natural marketing of being right on Main Street, right? Uh, that's true. But I would also say that the word of mouth has now been replaced by Google five-star reviews. Nah. Okay. okay. That is fascinating. I would probably say probably two-thirds of my new patients have read my reviews online. Mm-hmm. I think you need to have a strong web presence and you need you need to actively ask people to give you the, the, the reviews. They're, most okay. people aren't going to do it on their nice. own. Uh, we have it. Actually, we identify at our morning meetings every day who has a Gmail account. Almost everybody does. And um, some people won't give it to you, but almost everybody has a Gmail account. Mm-hmm. And you hand them a, we hand them a little slip of paper that tells them in two or three clicks how they can get right to the review part. And we ask them, especially if I know that they've been coming and they've had good experiences, please give me a five-star review. And so when we ask patients why they come to the practice, they say, I read your reviews. Yeah. I read your reviews. You know, that's interesting you say that because some people say, you know, that dental medical being both in healthcare kind of operate in different decades sometimes where medical might have a little more of of a head start in some areas. But the idea you're talking about now where basically advertising is all digital for everybody, I think it's something that is, really important uh, lesson to take home because even that small local family general dentistry, you know, it's a big, it's a big world. Like you said, 60% of people are either looking or, 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 you know, interested in other options. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, especially during COVID when people are not walking around as much, you know, yeah. they go online on their phones and, and they, the younger generation, right. Yeah. It's all technology driven. I mean, I'm, I'm 30, so I would like to say that I'm still young, not but young. <laughs> not young. Thank you. Thank wow. you. Thank you, Dr. J. But I, I mean, I was even looking for a dentist the other day in Walnut Creek. And the first thing I did was go on Google and see what the reviews were. So I, right. I can see how that would be a huge deal. It is, it is a huge deal. It is, it is, it takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of organization, but once you get rolling on it, it is well worth it, you know, and you need to have mm-hmm. a, uh, an easy to navigate website. It needs to be mobile friendly because, you know, the worst thing that ever happened, uh, from a, from a, a socioeconomic standpoint was my wife learned how to shop with her phone. (laughs) Anywhere in the world we were at, you know, um, back today we were, I I was looking at my, my American express bill and I said, what's this $70 charge? I don't recognize it. You made it because it was on your card. And she goes, I don't know. Must be bought. So I find out that it was a donation she made. Okay. That's, that's acceptable. That's, that's sweet. humanitarian. It's, it's, you know. It is acceptable, but it, like I said, it's like, you know, you have to be mobile friendly. You know, you can download all my new patient paperwork. 
mm. from my from my website. Yeah. I, I won't let mm. people pre-appoint because I need to know what we're doing. And so that gets into another bit of digital technology that I have embraced probably 10 or 15 years ago because I have a specialty practice embedded inside my general practice. You know, one of the really nice things is to be able to triage your patients before they come in. So for instance, Alex, you call up, you say, I, I broke my front tooth. I, what am I going to do? I, I have an important meeting on Monday. What, what can you do? Well, I would tell you take a picture of your tooth and send it to me. Either okay. email it to me or send it to me and take a couple of different angles. And I'll know what I need to do to get you squared away before I get into the office. Wow. I'll know whether it's a crown. I'll know whether I can do a filling. I'll know what I need to do to get you right. That's incredible. Dr. J, look at you with the technology. Yeah, an old guy, right? So the other <laughs> thing I do is, is that my, my one specialist practice is in Allentown, uh, several times uh, several times a month. And if he's not in the office, I just send him an email or a radiograph or if I have a question, I have a, an ER doctor who's a really good friend of mine and we share stuff back digitally all the time so that we can come up with appropriate diagnosis for patients. So wow. I, I've embraced that technology. You know, uh, <laughs> when we do stuff like that, it, we keep the names out of it. We're just sending images. So we're maintaining patients' privacy, but it really acts as a, as a as a great tool for us. Incredible. That's awesome. Have you found that during this pandemic that that's become more uh, widely used by patients and by by dentists? Or is it really just based on like the, the technology prowess of the person running the practice? I think the latter is correct. I think it's based mm -hmm. on the prowess of the patient. I mean, we've been doing it at least for 10 or 12 years so that for wow. the, the one thing the pandemic allowed us to do was is to highlight just how clean this office is. I mean, you can't tell from behind me with the papers on the table, but I mean, my operatories, I strip my operatories of only the bare essentials. I put air filtration in. So I'm pulling up, you know, recirculating the air in my treatment rooms about every seven or eight minutes. You know, we've got it in the waiting room. So we have really we got rid of all the extra papers and we've been I have been totally digital in terms of electronic medical records for over 20 years, including yeah. imaging. So we're all digital. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a huge piece that that's we're, incredible. we're trying to get, uh, we're seeing this, there's still so many dentists out there that are completely paper and it's just kind of shocking. It, it really, it really is shocking, but those are, those are little, and I can speak for myself. Those are little challenges that come along. So, you know, I got my money. I opened up my little practice. I got busy. I, I opened up a, a, a second operatory inside my practice. And finally I got the three and I was too big. I made the decision to buy my building. And that mm -hmm. is another thing I would tell oh. any young practitioner. I liked where I was. Um, I hired an architect. It was my wife's prodding. I hired an architect. We basically took this building and gutted it. If you go online, if you go to my, my Google page, you can see what it looks like. But we took a, we took a, a an old brick house and we made it into a professional building and I have a one bedroom apartment upstairs that I rent hmm, wow. and um, I, we, we put a parking lot in. And so, you know, I have friends that have practiced for 30 and 35 years and paid rent and they have nothing to show for it. Hmm. And I have a professional office building that either at some point in time, when I leave my practice, I'm either going to collect rent from, or I'm going to sell. So, you know, it's a, if yeah. you're going to spend money, spend money on something that you own. Yeah. It's a hassle when the heater breaks or you, you got to replace the air conditioner. But if you're running your business properly, you're 
have a capital improvements fund. So you're mm-hmm. squirreling a little bit of money away every month. Mm. That's very smart. That's very very smart. smart. So real quick, we do have to go back and touch on the fact that you met your wife in jail. Mm-hmm. And I'm very yeah. interested in hearing this story. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that clinic I worked in in Allentown was about a block and a half from the county prison. And in the Pennsylvania prison system, until you've been convicted, you stay in a county facility. So, for instance, Alex, if you had been done armed robbery, you're innocent until proven guilty and you're going to stay there so your family can visit you. Mm-hmm. And so you have you have everything from DUIs to heinous criminals in there. And um, the prison dentist who I never met got had a heart attack and he was out of the facility there for about eight weeks. And they called up because I was so close and they said, would you have a problem seeing the patient, the inmates on your lunch hour? And I said, absolutely not. You can bring them. I I thought, Mm. great. And um, then he came back. I got to be friends with the transport guys. The prisoners were always very nice. They were glad to be taken care of. But the prison dentist came back. And about two weeks after he came back, he passed away of a heart attack. And they started bringing the inmates back. And then the transport guy said to me, what do you think about you being the new prison dentist? <laughs> and I said, all right, we'll have the chief medical officer who I had had just nothing but phone contacts with call me and we'll talk about it. And one of the things he said to me as an inducement to take the position was he said, we have five really attractive single women here. <laughs> and, as prisoners? Uh, I said, okay. And I was single. So I said, okay, that sounds great. And uh, uh, I guess that was, uh, all I know is it was actually Valentine's Day that I uh, the clinic that I was at closed. I was pivoting mm-hmm. into my private practice and another job that I was going to take to help support my practice. Cause my, originally my practice was open a couple nights a week and one day and the other days, the other 30 hours a week, I worked for somebody else so I could afford to have a practice. And then that day I met my wife at lunch and we sort of flirted for a while. And you know, when we went on our first date, I knew I was going to marry her. And that was oh, 40 wow, years that's ago. Incredible. She was a, so sorry, she was a corrections officer in the prison? Originally, originally. But when I met her, she was uh, working in the treatment department in terms of work release. Okay. Got it. So if you'd served so much of your sentence, they would put you into a dormitory setting and then you would clock in and out to go to a job. All right. Well, February 14th is coming up. So I I I assume you guys are doing something special. (laughs) It's a Monday this year. So it sure is. Yeah. Well, probably that weekend. Yeah. You know, uh, it reminds me of another good dad joke. I'm going to give you one more gift before we wrap up the show. <laughs> um, what's the difference between a prison? Well, sorry. What's the similarity between a prison guard and a dentist? They both do oh, cavity my. searches. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> All right. We're getting a little I'm, more risque. I'm, I'm, at least I can fix them. <laughs> That's true. So if, if, if we're growing it to a close, I, I think I would like to say one thing I think is really important uh, that uh, yeah. I think a lot of young practitioners miss out on. You know, th- if you decide I have been an out of network practitioner for 30 years and I knew when I dropped out of my networks, I was going to lose patients. But if you work really hard and you're personable and you do quality work, stand behind it and are incredibly personable and I mean, right here, uh, these are new patient notes that I'm sending to new patients that we saw today. 
welcoming them personally, touching on them, knowing we send out milestone birthday cards. Listen, you're not going to please everybody. For some people, insurance and their coverage is the bottom line. But for Mm -hmm. people who value personalized service and five-star treatment, you don't have anything to worry about. You will make enough money to support your family and to be able to save for a nice retirement or buy that boat or cottage or whatever you want to do. I've been doing, I haven't looked back. The first year I dropped all my insurance plans. Uh, I worked less hours and made more money. Oh my goodness. That's an important lesson for our audience to take away. And that is, you know, put the, put the patient first and really take care of people and do good work and the rest will fall. We've heard that a couple of times on this show, mm-hmm. even on the, the medical and dental side. There's no way that you can work with inside the insurance network fee structures and provide quality care. I mean, gloves before the pandemic were five fifty dollars or $6 a box. Now you're lucky if you can get them at 21 So oh, that's my goodness. Four, four times as much as what they cost. And everything has gone up exponentially. Yes. So if you're going to provide, if you want to cheap out on the materials, I mean, are, would you put the things in your patient's body that you, that you would put in your own? You know, I'm very comfortable. I mean, I have, you know, we all use tooth colored fillings. I have seven or eight different systems in the office, depending on what part of the mouth it needs to go in. Certain mm-hmm. things belong in certain, there's no one size fits all. Yeah. So if you work towards that, I mean, that could be a topic for another day, but it, I mean, it is a difficult thing to do. And, and I always tell people their insurance is sort of like their uh, Dumbo's magic feather. <laughs> you know, they can't get dental work done if they don't have dental insurance. But really, dentistry, just we were talking about earlier, about whole health. Dental care is really just about, should be just about prevention. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get cavities, if you don't brush your teeth, if you get gum disease, whose fault is that? Right. People need to embrace the responsibility. And that's one of the things, just like, you know, an exercise, what happens? You get flabby. The best <laughs> part about losing all that weight was, is I got into a size 34 waist jeans. I got out and bought all new clothes. It was great. There you go. <laughs> of course, my wife wanted to keep some of my, fat, I call myself Fat J then. She wanted to keep some of the Fat J clothes. And I said, no, I'm never going to be that heavy again. I, yeah. I was happy being a 36, but no, no. Yeah, you got to get rid of those clothes so that you have no no easy way to go back. Yeah, burn the bridges, right. baby. Burn the bridges. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we've gotten a lot of great nuggets out of out of you today for the listeners, um, especially with uh, you know talking about insurance, talking about buying the building, talking about how important Google reviews and websites and technology are nowadays. So, really uh, wanted to just say thank you, Doctor J, for being on. I think you provided a lot of great insight for for the listeners today. And well, if anyone out there listening would like to get in contact with you, where can they reach you? Is it the website or email? Or uh, I will give you my personal email. And I'm really, this is another thing. You got to be really responsive. You know, I know that from my days in, as, as a leader in organized dentistry. So it's mm-hmm. J-A-Y-S, the number two, T-H, J's tooth at gmail.com. And if you send me an email, I'm more than happy to respond to you. Um, if it turns out that we need to have an actual conversation on the phone, uh, we can exchange that at the time, but I'm more than happy to talk to anybody via email that, that wants, I'm more do that with my, most of my residents and I've been teaching 30 years, stay in touch with me. So amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you again for coming to the show and, um, 
I think uh, anyone else that's interested can follow us on our social medias. Yeah, absolutely. Be sure. Thank you to all the listeners out there. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe on all the social medias. And thank you again, Dr. J, for being on. And My we pleasure. Will, we will see you all next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.